0: It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. You know how I'm always throwing out grant writing advice like follow the guidelines or don't miss a deadline? Well, today you don't just have to take my word for it. I'm interviewing a grant maker so you can hear from someone on the other side of the desk what grant funders really want. I'm talking with Mindy Honey from the Skaggs Foundation in Branson, Missouri. As the Director of Community Relations for the Foundation, Mindy's duties include grant administration for the Skaggs Legacy Endowment, as well as grant writing for the Skaggs Foundation. The Skaggs Legacy Endowment was established in 2013 And since that time, more than $5.9 million has been awarded to organizations improving health and wellness in stone and Taining counties in Missouri. And I can tell you, I have seen the effects of this firsthand, and they are doing some great work in the community. There are a lot of great takeaways in this episode. So many, in fact, that I decided to throw them all in a downloadable list that you can grab over on my website. I'll link to that in the show notes for you listen into to the interview, and learn from a grant maker herself. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Tell us one random fact about you.
1: One random fact. Um, I'm a mom of two teenage boys, so I think I live in a state of always being tired. I would imagine
0: you do. <laughs> Hats off to you. A lot of moms can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us about your journey and your background. How did you get into nonprofit work?
1: So I've always had a dream of wanting to work in nonprofit. I didn't know what that looked like or how I would accomplish that. I've always had a passion for giving back and kind of helping the community, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I also love writing. And so my degree is in public relations with an emphasis in journalism. And so I actually have experience in retail management right out of college. And then I um, worked for a local newspaper in Branson, and I held many positions there from staff writer to society editor. And then when I left, I was managing editor of the paper. And I actually transitioned over to work for Cox Medical Center Branson as their communications coordinator. And so that really opened my eyes up to the medical field and the needs in healthcare. And so it really opened up and it gave me a lot more opportunity. So I really, at that time, I transitioned to the public relations world doing that. And so um, part of that was it gave me exposure to Skaggs Foundation And I learned a lot about them. At that time, they didn't have anybody that um, worked specifically doing their public relations. And I started working with them and eventually was asked to come on board and do their public relations, as well as grants administration and a little bit of grant writing. And so that really is kind of how I got into this. I feel like this is kind of everything led up to this. And this is kind of the perfect fit for me, because I get to still do that public relations and the writing. And so I do wear a lot of hats. But I also get to, you know, be very hands on with grantees and helping them formulate their programs and help them along their way on their journey to make sure that they're successful. And so it's really a great opportunity to kind of feel like I'm giving back and really helping in the community as well as still doing those other things that I really enjoy.
0: I love that. I love hearing how people's backgrounds lead them into grant writing because almost every single time nobody trained to work in a nonprofit. Nobody went to school for that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of colleges don't even have that as an option. And so it's interesting seeing all the different backgrounds people come from that end up being a perfect fit for their nonprofit work. It sounds like yours was definitely that way, too. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it was it was always a dream. And you know, it was I didn't know how to get there or what it would look like. But it, it works out really good. And kind of every area of my background kind of fits in really well and helps me be able to do my job.
0: It's nice when that all comes together like that. Tell us now, I know you probably wear a lot of hats with what you do, but you kind of oversee the grant-making process for the foundation, correct? Yes. Okay, so give us a little peek behind the scenes from the funder's perspective of what it's actually like to run and administer a grant program, to put out the application, the RFP, and then to review the applications. What do you see What's it like from your side of the desk? Yeah,
1: so quick history. We are a local foundation. Um, We're based in Branson, Missouri. So how our um, we received the endowment was the hospital here in Branson merged with a larger hospital system, and essentially our foundation was a beneficiary of that essentially purchase price. And so that money came to our foundation. We were already well established and already had things we were doing. And so that became another part of what we did. And, you know who we are. And so uh, that happened in 2013, and. So we developed um i wasn't here at the foundation at the time so the person that was in the grants administration they developed the program um and really kind of set those steps into motion it started out as about a 25 million dollar endowment each year um, we award annually grants We see a lot of different applications come in on an annual basis. We get about 40 to 50 applications each year. On average, we award um, grants to about 25 grantees. One of the big things that we see that people when they start out writing grants is our foundation. I think about every foundation is focused on a specific area or specific need. So ours is we're health and wellness focused and our funding is specifically focused on Stone and Taney counties, which is two counties in Southwest Missouri. And so some of those big things that we see when we're getting those grant applications is organizations that don't pay attention to those very important details, that it's health and wellness related and is for Stone and Taney counties because we'll get applications and they'll include other counties. And our our rules, our bylaws are very strict. And so we can't give money to an organization that if they're gonna take it out of the area and serve um, residents, not in those two counties. So we see a lot of that. I run kind of the process and everything, but the decisions are made by a committee, a volunteer committee of grant committee members who review those applications. And I will tell you those applications, there's you know, if you get 50 applications, that's a lot to review. And it's really important that those applications really stand out, that there aren't errors there. The biggest thing is, I would say, is that the project is very clear. And I actually was um, on a panel the other day, and somebody said something that I thought, "Wow, well, that's really good. Have somebody who is not familiar with your organization or your project, read it and make sure that they understand and can repeat back to you what your goal is. We see a lot of applications with a lot of jargon. And I will tell you the majority of our grants committee members, they're not in the healthcare field or they are, but they're more in administration and things like that. And so when um, their eyes glaze over and they don't know what you're talking about or don't understand what you're saying, those applications, you know there's a lot to read and there's a lot of people asking for money. And so those applications that aren't clear don't always make it through the next round.
0: So true. That's such a good point. If they have to think too hard about what you're even asking for in the first place, they're not going to keep going. They're not going to dig in as much. That's such good advice. So how do you go about that then? Do you step in and review the applications first and pull out the ones that maybe don't meet the initial criteria of maybe they left out documents or have too many errors and then submit the next round to the reviewers? Or do you just send them all on? I send
1: them all on. We have about a
0: month timeline
1: from the time those applications are due until our committee meets to review those and talk about them. And I say review. That meeting is about a three hour meeting. All the grants committee members get together typically and go through the applications one by one. And so if somebody leaves something off, I mention it, I talk about it, I point it out. And so if they miss a deadline, that's typically a, sorry, you know, we need you to make our deadlines and we need you to take this seriously. All those things, now the Grants Committee, that one thing about being a small foundation is there's a little bit of leeway in stuff. and stuff. so I think there's a, it's a little bit more forgiving when you're working with a foundation like this, is that if you've kind of established your history and you've done great work in the past, but you forget and you forget to attach a document or something isn't perfectly clear when there's that relationship established already. And you've been a successful grantee for a while. I think they're more willing to be like, okay, we see the good that you're doing in our community and we see what you're doing already. And we understand everybody's human. And so we still want to help you. And I've seen that kind of compassion and stuff. And so I really like that about being able to be part of a small nonprofit because I know of a lot of organizations that oh you forgot to attach this or you didn't attach the file in the right format and their application is kicked out even though they might do amazing work and so i think that's really great about small foundations like us that we can take it down to a more personal level and we know organizations and we know the good that they're doing and stuff and so it it allows us to have a little bit more flexibility
0: through. That's one thing that I've really gotten to enjoy myself about writing for the smaller foundations as opposed to the big government grants is you do build that relationship and kind of get to know the funder as opposed to just being a stack of applications that they don't know. So I think that's an important piece of that, especially for smaller nonprofits, where they may not have a lot of resources to apply for the big government grants, but if they can build those relationships in their community, that's going to really help them leverage that and grow and establish credibility. Yeah, absolutely. You said you like to see applications that stand out and have a super clear program. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of something that might really be a way for someone to stand out?
1: Just going back to making sure the project is clear, what they're wanting to do is obviously you've got to meet those first criteria that it has to serve the population in the demographic, health and wellness, things like that, that immediately. And then that program has to be clear and one of the things I see a lot of times that our grants committee specifically you know our grants committee they like to see organizations come to us with smaller asks to start with and build that relationship if we don't know you if we haven't had a history with you you know those smaller asks kind of get through the door show us that you are going to be good stewards of the money that we give you and that you can um, produce results and then come back to us so start small and then come back to us with larger we've gotten applications for huge amounts of money and we don't know this organization you know and so it's there's a lot of hesitation and i don't normally see those organizations get funding and they would come in with a a much smaller ask that first year and establish their project that would be great things like that programs are all different sizes so that's really hard We see programs that want us to fund things that they're already doing, that they've been doing for a number of years, and they just want somebody else to fund it. And so that's usually a big turnoff to our grants committee. They want to make an impact. They don't want to say, okay, this year we're funding this same program that's already been going on for years, and if we don't give this funding, it's still going to happen no matter what. They want to know that the funding that they're giving is making a difference and improving lives, improving quality of lives and health and wellness.
0: I think that's a good distinction to make is that you want the established nonprofit and the established relationship but your foundation in particular wants to fund a new innovative program within that established nonprofit. So you may not want to just fund a brand new organization right off the bat that you don't know. Nobody really knows them. They're just getting started, but you really are looking for those innovative new things to really make a difference in the community where you can kind of step forward and be the hero of that piece of their program. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, so we want to, you know, we want to see an organization come to us with an idea to solve a unique problem, or solve a problem, you know, with a unique project. And so that we're not funding. uh, And that's not to say that an organization can't come to us for several years and continue to get funding for a project that they're doing, if they've established it with us. But say, for example, I have an organization in our area that um, has come to us year after year, and they have an after school program. And no matter what, I mean, it's, it's an established program. They've done it for as long as we know. And it really is, we want to take this and charge the foundation or you know, write it into the grant to cover pieces of salary to run this program. And it's already built into it, no matter what, it's already a part of what they're already doing. And so I haven't seen our foundation or our grants committee get excited about that because they know no matter what, that's already part of what they're doing.
0: Right if they came to you and said we have this after school program and we've had it for several years but we want to add this fitness piece so kids can get more physical activity after school would you help us get some of the equipment for that that would be something to extend
1: yeah that would be i could see the grants committee getting more excited about something like that but to come to us and with a program that no matter what is part of what they already do and no matter what is already going to be funded and is built into their budget already, but to say, you know, we want you to cover the cost of the salaries for this time and the posters for this time. It really is hard for our grants committee to get excited about something like that when they don't see the benefit of the funding and they'd rather put it into something that's gonna make a direct impact. Sure. And not to say that they don't make a direct impact, but to solve a problem at currently.
0: Right. Problem. Something more specific. Right. That makes sense. I have a question for you regarding the process. After you've put out the RFP and nonprofits have submitted and they've met the deadline, Mm -hmm. so now you're reviewing, and usually it takes several months, and with most funders, that's pretty typical, before you announce awards. Do you want nonprofits to contact you during that waiting period, or do you kind of just want to be – leave us alone, let us do our job, what do you recommend there? So one of the things we do is we keep a kind of a timeline
1: on our um, website and I think each of the applications actually include that kind of timeline, what funders can expect. Like for this coming grant cycle, concept papers for our larger grants and as well as grant applications for our smaller grants, those are all due to us by April 30th and so that gives our grants committee about a month to review and so they review and in May of next year, they will, um, depending on the size of the grant, for those larger grants, we'll come back to them and let them know whether they're moving on in the process or they're not. If they're moving on, then they um, they get a request for full application. And so then they have a couple months to work on that request for application, full application. And there, in that between time, there could be um, interviews and things like that if needed. And for those smaller applications, though, essentially the committee might kind of makes a decision it's not finalized though until later and so they look at those they decide which ones they plan to fund which ones they don't plan to fund and then those are just waiting until September and so if we move back over and we pick up on those larger grants during that time we're still going through the process those um, organizations are finalizing their full applications getting to us there might be another interview process our grants committee is getting back and reviewing those and then our grants committee gets back together and decides we make one final look at okay this is our larger grants we're going to fund these are our smaller grants we're going to fund this is our total amount that we're going to award and then from there we have to take it to our board and get approval and so we wait till you know our september board meeting and so it's a there's a long process to that. And so for an organization that's asking for a small grant um, who applies in April, they won't actually know until mid-September. But just know that we're not just sitting on that application, that there's a lot of other things going on behind the scenes. And it might not be specifically for their grant, but for all the other grants and things like that. So uh, there's there's a lot of process and there's reason to our method of what we do. One of the things is we list the deadlines and we list that timeline on those applications and we list it on our website. And I'm always happy to answer those questions. But one of the things is we get um, at least once or twice a year is an organization that will apply in April and assume they're going to get funding for the summer program. And so that's always hard. And we've had different organizations actually get really mad at us because they're like, but I applied back in April. And, but I'm like, if you look at our timeline, those organizations that actually apply back in April, even if you're approved for funding and you get notification in September that you're getting funded, we don't make first disbursement of funding until November 15th. And so that's something when you go to look at our application process to keep in mind and don't come to us and expect money for something in June, July, or August when we don't actually do disbursement until November.
0: Right. That's a really good point. And that's something I try to remind people. And I have that in my online courses, actually, of look at the timeline and is it realistic and make sure your program is going to fit with the funding timeline. You can't do that out of order because the money just won't be there and you can't assume the money will be there.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that is very important. And that's one thing I, yeah, that you can't stress enough of. And this year, I probably had four or five applications that came through that because they were proposing projects that needed funding June, July, August, it automatically put them out of the running. Oh, that's unfortunate. When they put that on their timeline that it's to fund a program in June or July and things like that we you know we look at each other and we're like well but the funding even if they did get approved the funding wouldn't would come in too late anyway right that's one of the key things if you go to our organization our website and click on grants that first page is that timeline and we try to keep that updated all the time Mm -hmm. so people know when they're applying what to expect, but yeah, that really gets a lot of grantees
0: or, you know, organizations who are applying. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure that's frustrating for both of you because you may see this great program that you'd love to help and they may really need the money and you just can't make that connection because they didn't follow that timeline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've tried to, for those that we saw the real value in it, we, you know, we tried to work with them or help them find other organizations in our community that maybe might be able to help meet their timeline better because we see the value in it. It's just that we're restricted by our bylaws.
0: Right. That's another benefit of building the relationships that we talked about and being the smaller funder, that you do have those connections in the community and you can say, why don't you talk to this group or this other place that might be able to help you. That's where you can start building that network and helping nonprofits that way too, kind of indirectly.
1: Yeah. We cover just a two-county area. So I'm really involved in a lot of the nonprofit networking organizations. And so I get to know these organizations on that level. And so then also I know a lot of the funder, other funders in our community. And so it, it helps. So when somebody comes to me and, you know, and their timeline doesn't match up, but I know that it's a good quality application and then it will be a great program, I'm able to help redirect them and connect them. And it's really satisfying to see that if we weren't able to help them, help connect them to funding and stuff. And we've seen that a lot of
0: time. And I'm sure that carries weight coming from you talking to another funder or place that could help of saying, hey, look at this one, as opposed to them just knocking on their door out of the blue, a complete stranger. So that's helpful for both parties. Yeah, that warm handoff really does. It helps build that connection. Right. Yeah, and that just goes back to building those relationships that you were talking about. That's so important.
1: One of the things that we do, and I think a lot of other organizations do, is we list after every year of grant awards, we list out on our website, it's like we call it our highlights. It's about a paragraph of about every one of the programs we're funding. And when somebody comes to me and says, do you think we would fund X project? And, you know, and I will be like, uh, and I often will refer people to go back and review that list of what we funded in the past. And I think that it lists PDF for every year since 2013 that lists out every one of those projects and um, has information of every one of those projects that we funded. So I think reviewing that before you put a lot of time and effort into putting it together in application or trying to figure out how to make a project that will will fund, go back and look at that and make sure you're not stretching your project to get us to fund it or it, it aligns with what we're looking to fund.
0: Yes, yeah, so good. And if anyone listening has taken my courses, just know that I did not give Mindy the script to say that. <laughs> she just thought of that and said that herself <laughs> because That's one of the things in my courses that I go through and say, look at their past awards. (laughs) I'm glad that you brought that up because we did not pre-rehearse that. She just (laughs) came up with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But no, it is so true. And it is something I say, I can't even tell you how many times a year I say that, but look at what we've awarded in the past. And that'll help you align with what we plan to do.
0: So in your experience if a nonprofit is not ready for grants yet, what is something they could be doing in the meantime? Um,
1: fundraising is always an opportunity. There's all different opportunities out there for fundraising and ways you can fundraise or get donors to help support your project, things like that. As a foundation, you know, we, we give away grants, but we also, before we had the endowment at our core is we fundraise and we have our own programs that we can't fund. Through grants. So I get it from both ways. We're always fundraising. We're always working on ways that we're bringing in money. So there's a lot of opportunities to work specifically with donors in your community, those big donors, those big dollar donors, and then also those smaller donors that really can add up. One of the things we're connected to the hospital. And so we're able to bring in a lot of dollars for our smaller programs by working with employee donors. So employees give back through their paychecks. That's a great way. I know of another organization in our community that that's how they make a lot of their funding is employee donors giving to them. That can be huge events, fundraising like that. Obviously COVID has changed a lot of things and And I think about any nonprofit as really having to shift gears right now to adjust, but
0: it's it's definitely doable. Right. And those are some great ideas besides just sometimes people think, oh, fundraising, or I just have to have this one big event, but those small ways to really add up. And those are great ways to have more diverse sources of income, not just one big thing that you're relying on. And then if something happens like a pandemic and your fundraiser is shut down, you still have other things to fall back on to at least stay running. Right. Yeah.
1: And if you have a program, one of the things we found a lot of success with is breaking it down. So someone like an organization can feel ownership of a piece of that program. So say, for example, we provide meals to cancer patients receiving chemotherapy in the hospital. So they're not able to leave the infusion room. And so they're there for several hours. And so one of the things we were learning was those patients weren't Eating a lot of bone cancer is stressful on their finances. It takes a lot of time. Family wasn't always able to bring them meals while they're receiving therapy. So one of the things our foundation does is we fund. We work with the hospital cafeteria and we pay for those meals. No questions asked. If you're there through lunchtime, then you receive a free meal. And so we were trying to get people to get behind it was challenging. But one of the things we did is we broke it down that for a month, people like an organization could sponsor those meals. And so we put their sticker on those lunch boxes that are delivered. And so it gives them real ownership. And we can say, you're going to give us this much money. Well, this is how many meals you're going to provide. It's something rather than just writing a check to an organization, it's something that they can feel ownership for, and they
0: can really feel like they own that part of that project. And that connection there is important so they can see the results and see the good it's doing as opposed to, like you said, just a blanket donation. Yeah. That's a great idea and a way to quantify it for the donor because sometimes if they're looking at why should I donate to you over this other foundation asking for money or some other nonprofit or whatever, that's a good way to show yours and make it stand out and have that really compelling tug at the heartstrings cause that they can support. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it really builds that connection to, you know, a program you're really passionate about. And they can say, well, my donation provided cancer center meals for a month. And so I know I helped all these patients for an entire month, right? It just really helps with that connection. And so donors really seem to um, be open to things like that, rather than just asking for a
0: blanket donation. I like that. And even if they can't be on the front lines doing that, that's a way to connect that to the front lines of what's happening and the difference they're making.
1: Yeah. And one of the really nice things you can do, say for, you know, going back to that cancer Night Mail program, you can do is take a picture of that lunchbox with that, their sticker, with their logo sticker on it, you know, maybe with a patient and get, obviously get your, the patient's approval, but send a picture and say, you know, thank you and show them that impact, that personal impact that they're making. And so in the future, they'll want to give back and continue to make a difference.
0: Such a good idea. So many good takeaways here. I'm excited about these. I'm going to have to write all these out and post them just because there's so much good advice in all this. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and to share from the other perspective. Some of these are things that I've advised on and told in my courses, do this or that, or don't do this, but it's helpful to hear from a funder. You really should think about this because it does make a difference from your perspective, from the other side of things. Yeah. It's interesting that you have some of the grant writing experience, too, so you can understand both sides of that experience.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I would add is just to think about after you get the grant, those reports that you have to turn in, those are really important in order to get that next grant, and if you're going to come back to that that organization. And those personal touches can mean a lot. I actually had a school, I had an assistant superintendent, a principal, and another individual from a school yesterday come by our office and hand deliver us, whole stack of thank you cards from a elementary school classroom that has been impacted by one of the grants that we provided. And so it wasn't just an email, okay, thank you. It wasn't just a grant report, but those personal touches know that those go back to that grants committee. And I can't wait to share that with them, and show them the school district is talking about us and even telling the kids who made this possible. It was a small grant, but yet they took the time to come back to us and bring this stack of personal thank you cards from the kids and stuff. So that those things are huge um, when you're working with a small like foundation like us.
0: That's awesome. And really those are volunteers and they put in, I mean, if you have to go through 50 applications, they put in a lot of hours on that and sitting down to review those, that takes a lot of brain power and focus. And it's probably a pretty thankless thing. Yeah. They see the results, but they probably don't get that one-on-one interaction. So that's a really good point to think of how you can add that personal touch to follow up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like
1: we have had grants that have done different things like that, When at first it's hard to make a black and white piece of paper on an application seem personal. But when you add that and then they the, hear those personal stories of how a child's been impacted or an individual's been impacted, it really like tugs at their heartstrings and it makes them realize the impact that they're doing. And so it really brings to life that project when an individual is making those decisions. I think that weighs heavy. And the next time that application comes around and they're asking for more money that those personal stories, they think back to those and they want to continue to give to that program.
0: Yeah. And that's one thing I keep stressing as whether it's the nonprofit or the client or the funder or the committee that's deciding there's a person on the other side of everything. And it really comes down to that of not just talking to a piece of paper or a computer screen, you're talking to a person, ultimately, yeah. even though you may never meet them. It's really about those relationships and treating them like a person right. and telling your story and building that. Yeah, I mean, numbers and data, that's, that's great. And we need that backup.
1: But we also love those personal stories to know that it is really impacting somebody's life
0: right and one thing i love that you do is when you have the news station come and do the story as they're implementing the grant i love watching those and as the one writing the grant for one of the nonprofits that applies it's good to see it come full circle and like yeah yay this is why we're doing it and i see the people talking about how it's changing their lives get a little tear going (laughs) yeah
1: it is and it's so cool it's amazing you see that part you work with them on that end and i work on them on this end, and so it is like, even from a funder's perspective, it is exciting. And we are so happy when we see a grant that is successful and making an impact and we get super excited, you know? And I can't wait to go back and tell my grantees the impact and what I'm hearing from them and that gets them more excited. And that means means everything does. So yeah, I do it because it's an opportunity for my board and my grants committee to see it as well because they can't always go to all these grantees But yeah, it is.
0: It's really cool to be able to share those stories, the successes. Right. And that's what really makes it rewarding. Yeah, it's great to see the numbers and people attending and the classes growing or whatever, but it's more than the numbers. It's the way the stories they're telling of how it's changing their lives. Of this is so much better. I feel better. This has done me so much good and been so helpful. So yeah, that's where it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been so good. Thank you for all of this. This has been so much good information. I really appreciate your time doing this. So where can we find you online if somebody wants to learn more about the foundation or see your social media in action and all the things that you're doing in the community?
1: Okay. Um, Skaggsfoundation.org is our website. So if they want to learn about our grant program, skaggsfoundation.org. And along the top bar, there's a tab for grants. And so they can click on that. If they hover over that, they'll learn more about our grant program. Again, we have two different levels of grants. We have small grants and we have some larger grants so they can learn about those. We're on Facebook. We don't have a lot of social media anywhere else, but on Facebook. So we try to be really active there. Um, but that's a great way to also keep up with us. And then if they want uh, more information about Skaggs Foundation, they want to get on our email list or a mailing list, they can email me and that's Mindy, M-I-N-D-Y dot honey, H-O-N-E-Y, just like I found, at Skaggs.net. And so I'm happy to provide more information, whether it's about grants or any of our other programs that we're doing.
0: Okay. Sounds good. And I'll link all of that in the show notes too, so that people can click over if they want to learn more. And I will just say, if someone's looking for a nonprofit to support, this would be a great one because I see all the work you do in the community and how you are good stewards about making sure that it goes to responsible nonprofits. Thank you. Thank you so much for this and we will stay in touch and best of luck in your next round. All right. Yes. Thank you. To download the list of today's tips, go to teresahuff.com slash funder. I'll link to that in the show notes for you. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.